grow fast once your value proposition is clear and once your business model is like stable. Um, don't grow fast before those two things have been verified. And the faster good eggs grew before they had figured out the unit economics of the business, the more money it lost. And in great hype, that lasts for a little while, but you know, it's gotta come to an end at some point. Right now, Good Eggs, an online grocery retailer, is growing at triple digits. But was it always a rocket ship? And if a brand wants to be part of its success, how does the Good Eggs team decide which products to carry? In our second discussion with CEO Bentley Hall, part two in a series, he shares the blueprint for maintaining stellar growth and picking the brands to win with. Welcome to the second season of Brand New Blueprint, a podcast by Smoketown. I'm your host, Ryan Pintado-Vertner. This podcast is all about finding new ways to build brands that can change the world. We hear directly from founders and CEOs, and we don't wait until they're already successful and worth zillions of dollars. We hear from them right now while the paint on the blueprint is still wet. And who is Smoketown? Smoketown is a boutique consultancy that improves the growth potential of emerging brands with better marketing strategy, outsourced marketing staffing, and best-in-class consumer research. In other words, we're nerds about this stuff. Here we go. If you haven't listened to our first conversation with Bentley, it's worth starting there. This conversation picks up where the other one left off. Um, so let's let's change gears a bit, and I want to talk about um, now get it a little bit more into what it is that that is at the heart of of Good Eggs' strategy um, of what has made it successful, and even get into some of the things that maybe had not worked in the past and that you've kind of pivoted around. And so to to kick that part of the conversation off. Tell me kind of again, and you've covered this as we've been talking, but maybe all in all in sort of one moment, what do you think are the core things that make good eggs unique among other e-tail e-commerce grocery platforms? Yeah, I think there's, I'll try to keep it to maybe three. There's a lot, but I think three buckets can encompass the biggest ones. So one is I believe we are and have the capability of maintaining um, an undisputed expertise in absurdly fresh groceries. So we should be able to do fresh better than anybody else. And the reason we can do fresh better than anybody else is what I mentioned earlier, 70% plus of what we buy is direct from local producers within a couple hundred miles of us. That is very different than average industry standard, which is like less than 1% on that dimension. And so when we're buying direct from folks, they're bringing it in and we're turning that product really quickly. Uh, it's really hard for somebody else to either want to do that or to pull that off. And that's more complicated. And we use technology to make what is complicated simple um, on the back end. So I, I feel really strongly that we're gonna win in fresh and that consumer behavior is gonna to continue to care more and more about that fresh perimeter of store and less and less about the center of store. 
I think the second thing besides sourcing and like product differentiation is probably how we run our business. And I think most people who are not in the weeds and grocery kind of may see all online grocers the same, but we don't, we don't have shoppers. We're not sending people into grocery stores to buy food that they then put a markup on. And those people are often temp labor. We have our own fulfillment centers. All those farmers and food makers I just mentioned drop off directly at that fulfillment center. And then we have our own full-time team who's picking those orders, sending them out and delivering roughly in a one and a half, two hour geography. So our business is like built to efficiently pick and pack groceries for home delivery. It's not something that's layered on top of a larger system that is not built for that. And without getting into metrics and OKRs and the details, it's just a stronger business in my opinion. It's more labor efficient, it's more space efficient. Uh, you turn that inventory faster, you have less spoilage, you have better product quality control. Like all that stuff is true in, in, in the one we, we have. And then if fresh is first, kind of the way we pick and our, our, the way we have our fulfillment center set up is different. And, and fulfillment centers for food is different than fulfillment centers for toilet paper, right? It's totally different. We have like seven temp zones of chill with different humidity as an example. The third is maybe more about how we work as opposed to what we do. And we, we want to build a brand that is deeply loved by our customers. And to do that, we think the best way to achieve that is to focus on a core customer and go really deep in certain geographies. So we are not interested in being everything to everybody in being a mile wide and an inch deep. We are interested in being the primary food supply for both what's in your pantry, what's for dinner, what's for breakfast, what's for lunch in the top five, 10 West Coast Metro markets. That's gonna keep us busy for five or 10 years. And I think to some that might look like we're missing a moment in the next six or 12 months, but I think that's a more likely way to win, win the larger battle over 10 years. Yeah. And it, part of that I would assume is that you have built into the DNA of the, of the company, a real commitment to local one could almost describe it as hyper local because you've cut out the middleman like they're they're delivering directly to you so not only are you focused on local you're focused on local and you actually sort of know the guy who you know backed up the truck and delivered the stuff and is that local piece one of the reasons or the your approach to local is that one of the reasons that um going a mile wide is just like a non-starter because you, you can't really adhere to that commitment to local and pop up in 11 or 12 or 20 cities over the next five years? Is local the reason? I think, I mean, Northern California is a unique market in that when I say local, we're talking 200 miles, we can get everything we want four seasons a year. I think there's lots of markets which are not Northern California that you can still get the same idea within four or 500 miles, four seasons a year. So it's a broader circle, but it's still the same concept. Um, and since I'm focused on the West Coast, there's no shortage of growers. Like the West Coast grows for a ton of America and other countries. The question is like, are there enough of them to grow quickly? And the way we do that is there's small and there's medium and there's large producers. We're not anti-big, we're, we're like pro-quality. 
Um, and some of those across each company size and stage are able to grow as fast as us, if not faster, and some aren't. And when they can't, that's great. You're still on the platform and we'll just add more bakers, right? To live alongside you. And if you can grow, that's also great. You've got lots of volume for you. Let's, let's keep talking about uh, the, like, the, the, those three pillars or the three core ways in which your business is different. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how did you arrive at those big strategy choices? Was that a, you know, really kind of logical exercise that had like, you know, spreadsheets and, you know, PowerPoint slides? Or was that some other process of iterating your way through and, and discovering what was working, maybe not even recognizing it until you had already landed on it? On the first one, sourcing, I mean, that's pretty ingrained in our purpose and and how we do things. So I think that was just a strong conviction that that's the right way to buy food Uh, from more of a moral or a purpose perspective. I think over time, um, and Greg's been around for 10 years, I've been there for five, Greg's been around for nine. I think over time, the, the strength that that purpose gives our business in a larger market became more clear. So like I said, buying direct from producers, they get paid more, we pay less than we would pay from a distributor. That's better business. Um, when we do that, we have an expertise in fresh, so people have higher retention of our service. When we're buying local, we turn our inventory so fast that despite having tons of fresh, our spoilage is like 15% that of a normal grocery store. So those were, those are more intellectual like number exercises, but that came from a purpose. Mm-hmm. I think fulfillment center one was a little bit of experimentation. I mean, the, the two found the original founders of good eggs were technology folks and they did not want to own a warehouse and they did not want to um, be in a heavy supply chain logistics business but they quickly realized that to achieve the purpose, you can't ask thousands of farmers to be delivering stuff independently to people's homes, even if you're connecting them, it's not sufficient. And I remember, I mean, we have a incredible guy on our board, Bill Gurley from Benchmark. I think he's, he's consistently like number one in the Midas list of venture capitalists. He's kind of a, a legend out here. And I remember early in the process when I was getting to know him, the first day I gave him the standard, the standard pitch and we talked about the business a bunch. And a couple of days later, he called me back to his office and he had a, he'd, he'd read and like poured through stacks of research reports on grocery. I think he'd even like called a couple fortune, fortune 500 CEOs of big grocery businesses to understand like what was happening in the category. And without, I mean, it was a fascinating like life lesson. Um, but one of the takeaways we both walked out from pushing hard uh, and asking each other questions and being logical about it was what happens to traditional grocers when they need to grow in an online world, yet they only have super low margins. And every time they grow more and more in online, their margins get worse. So like, what's going to happen there? And then the logical next question is what's the model that's going to work, right? There's a couple different ways you can deliver online groceries. And we came away with very strong conviction that more from a numbers perspective and a business perspective, 
the only way to make a profitable big business is to do it out of these fulfillment centers. So that was more intellectual. And I think the third, which is, and the second is actually amplified when you have a good labor strategy for good jobs and you have good technology. The strength of that second one is made stronger. Right. And then third on like focus on a customer and a geo, that's a little bit informed by GoodX history, right? They grew too fast. They went to four markets and they came back to one before I joined. And so hopefully the organization, you know, learns from that moment. And we've always said, we're going to grow as fast as we can while we have a good business and while we keep our customers happy. And if there's a moment where we're failing at one of those two things, we're going to slow down our growth. Um, and in, in like, in this conversation, that's simple to understand, but a board actually doing that and a team actually doing that is more rare. The first year I joined Good Eggs, one of the asks I made of investors was we're not going to have a single conversation about growth for the first 12 months. We have a lot to fix in our foundation. Um, and the people who came on board are willing to do that. It's, that's pretty cool and pretty rare. Yeah. Yeah. That is really cool. Um, and powerful that you even asked, like that, that you even set that expectation. Um, that's, yeah, that's amazing. So div divulging only what you feel comfortable, what was it about the rapid expansion that didn't work? Like what, what, what if you had to boil that down to a handful of, of lessons that were the go forward lessons, what were they? I think it's so classic. And I, and I want to give that team credit. Like, that team built incredible technology. That team built an incredible purpose. That team had their market timing spot on and they built an amazing team. And many of those things like they did exceptionally well. The, the learning from that, which I think often companies who get good funding, um, the incentive to grow in a moment of hype is high. And the more cash you raise, the more you want to go chase that growth. Right? Whether it's, Silicon Valley, whether it's food, I think we've seen that lesson happen. And it's like a it's a psychology, right? I have cash now, I'm gonna go try to do it. Yeah. Um, and I guess the lesson for me is grow fast once your value proposition is clear and once your business model is like stable. Um, don't grow fast before those two things have been verified. And the faster good eggs grew before they had figured out the unit economics of the business, the more money it lost. And in great hype, that lasts for a little while, but you know, it's gotta to come to an end at some point. And I think in, maybe in CPG, the example there is like, until you, when you don't scale a product line unless it's top tier velocity in that category and it has sustainable margins. All right, and as you're launching project products, like keep the best ones always in a retailer don't just launch products for the sake of launching products. Right. Right. And it, what's fascinating, and you know this because you've been on the CPG side of it too, is there are not enough well-funded, well-led emerging brands in CPG that get those two things right. There, I mean, the, 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 the pressure, I love the way you put it. It's like have cash must spend it or, you know, have, mm -hmm have valuation must hit it you know asap is does appear to be part of the psychology 
like the psychological trick that, that folks kind of find themselves in when they get hot, when investors get behind them in a particular way, it, it, they, so many brands that you and I know and love, and, you know, we're not going to name drop here, but it's just a regular occurrence that folks get those, th those things wrong. Yeah. And then you don't have aligned expectations. And then there's people who are frustrated because they signed up for some high growth story that may or may not be the right time. I think it's, I think it's actually a huge shame um, across multiple companies. It's one of the things I, it's one of the things I, as a leader in this moment, you spoke about, like people are excited with this category. It's certainly hot right now. Um, we, we, we could raise money. I, I could arguably keep the discipline of not using that money, but what is it? What is the organization and what is the culture take away when you raise a big round? And don't get me wrong. We've raised, we've raised cash, but like that, that concern of, the human pull <laughs> and the emotional pull uh, versus what needs to be done to win over the long term. Those aren't always in sync. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Uh, so I want to change gears just a little bit and get into something that I know that if I don't ask you this, they like there will be folks who boycott this podcast and who like never you know, like who, who send me hate mail. There are so many um, great brands, great producers who want and believe that Good Eggs is the right fit for them. I, I wonder if we can spend some time talking about what, like who, what kind of brands are you looking for? What does it take to become part of the Good Eggs platform? How does your team buy? Like what, what, what can you share? Can I share? I mean, we have an incredible buying team. Um, Jamie leads our assortment and merchandising team in our GoodX kitchen, and Corey runs category management for us. And they are uh, they're a great crew. I think we talked about it earlier, but this idea of like something's got to taste great and something needs to meet our sourcing standards, that's the first filter. And there's a section on our site, I think it's called Sell Your Goods, the bottom of the website, you can click on there and we're, we're pretty transparent about what those sourcing criteria are. So check those. Um, if you meet the taste threshold and kind of sourcing and sustainability threshold, then I think our question is about, is this, is this something our customers want? And is it differentiated in the market? So just like we're a retailer trying to be differentiated, we want to have differentiated products. And I guess the wonder thing to understand, most grocery stores have, you probably know this better than I do, 50, 60,000 SKUs. We have, we have less than 5,000 SKUs, but we are a primary food supplier to the families who use us. So that means I don't need 800 types of sliced bread. I want you know, 10 really thoughtfully types of, of bread. Mm -hmm. um, I need a sandwich bread for kids' lunches. I need a gourmet bread for... XYZ, every category look at that way. The pro of that is if you're one of the brands who gets through our filters, we're not going to have a ton, a super competitive run on the shelf every day. We're going to, we're going to let your product shine um, and stand out. The hard thing is we're not picking a lot of them and we're not adding brands and SKUs without being really thoughtful about it. So again, I think taste, sourcing standards, and then differentiation. Those are the things you're gonna get you to the front of the pack. 
and recognizing that we're not going to carry a hundred of your hundred SKUs you launched. Like tell us which four or five we've got to have and why. Right. Right. So even though the digital shelf gives you the ability to have like, you know, an infinite number of options, you've made the choice to, to the word we were using earlier to kind of curate the experience and what's available, which essentially makes you a limited uh, assortment retailer, you know, like you're similar to not quite in, at the same level of extreme, but similar to a Trader Joe's or similar to a Costco in the sense that you don't show up and choose from among 45 different cereals you chose you show up and choose from a, a more limited set which from the vantage point of the entrepreneur who's got that you know box of cereal that they think is amazing yes. that means that the hurdle that they need to clear to be one of those uh, chosen ones on your platform is higher yeah much like Trader Joe's I think there's they have a high hurdle for the few brands they have on store in store. Mm -hmm. similar. I think my only add to that is we are complete across categories, which sometimes Trader Joe's is not. Um, we are curated within those categories. So what I mean is like we have all grocery categories, right? We have alcohol license, we have flowers, we have meal kits, we have prepared items. Within each of those is where we're curating. When I joined Good Eggs, we were actually missing huge chunks of categories. So we were more like an occasional specialty shop. We've definitely shifted to be a full a full grocer and more. Mm, mm, got it. Got it. Uh, and so uh, I'm, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you a couple more sort of the, of the nitty gritty questions that our clients and the folks in my network are often asking. So yeah. what are the metrics that you expect to see or the things that, that you think are fundamental to the story mm. for when a brand shows up and claims that it tastes amazing and it is differentiated and it's got the right supply chain. Are there, are there certain things that you can sort of tell folks right now, Hey, don't show up. Like you're not ready. If you have not check, 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 or anything like that. I think the biggest one probably is like, because we, we know where we're buying our food from. If you're using ingredients, we expect that you know where those ingredients came from. So if you are buying ingredients that through a giant distributor and you have no idea where they came from, um, we're going to ask you to find out where it came from. Mm -hmm. And I think that's our responsibility. It actually makes us more of a pain to get through that filter. But then I think on the other side, the customer can trust what is on our store uh, more. I think that's probably one. And the other is, this is a chance to like, as a retailer, we're a chance to build your brand. And so think about the story you want to tell, not just us as a retailer, but to our customers and look at what else is on the site and if it stands out. And I know every entrepreneur thinks there stands out, but you got to catch the attention of our customers. We're going to give you a great chance to tell your story. So I think honing and tightening that story is really useful for smart, smart brands because the tighter that story is also, we can tell like, we can tell that story through email, right? We can tell that story in our blog. We can tell that story on our site. There's so many ways we can help you spread the word that don't cost you a large marketing dollars. It costs you nothing. And yeah. then the last one is like, know, know how your product turns relative to the competition. I think the number of small producers who come in and don't know that answer is actually pretty high. And if I think by the plum days, the reason we had good sales success is we went in and we said, we outsell every product you have by three or four X. Like that's a pretty compelling reason for a retailer to carry you. And it doesn't have to be on giant scale. It's just like where we sell next to those other things, we beat them.
Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, is there a, we, we've, we talked about local quite a bit and it occurred to me that I've been making an assumption that I want to clarify. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, as you look across the assortment within each of the categories that you're competing in, are you actually actively filtering for brands, companies, providers who are local to the Bay Area across all of those categories? So if, you know, you might have the world's greatest, you know, almond nut butter and they clear all of those other hurdles you have, but if, if it's, you know, from Indiana and it's not from here, from a brand standpoint, you're not interested or is, is, is the local piece not, a, not that strict? I think local is, is our strong preference for fresh in particular, for obvious reasons. Um, I think for other categories, local is not our primary goal. Um, I would say quality, quality is our primary goal. Two categories like crackers and cereal, right? Do I really care if those are local? I don't really care about the best one in a limited skew set. Um, same thing with wine, like we have lots of good Northern California wines. We have a lot of wine that are grown in other countries. Um, that we should we should carry. So I think it's category specific. I think in general, if it is shelf stable or a package good, local matters less. That's a that's an oversimplification. And if it's fresh, it matters more. Super helpful. So uh, I'm gonna close this out and uh, give you the chance to um, if maybe add in anything that that for you stands out as what you think is next, uh, what you think is, is the, 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 the next phase for, for good eggs beyond just kind of continuing to, to crush it in the, in the ways that you have, like, wh wh what should we expect to see here in the next like six and 12 months? I think us continuing to spread our roots in the Bay area, Resi resilient roots is something that you can expect. Uh, and I think us coming to more markets thoughtfully um, is also what you can expect. And as we come to more markets, they will be West Coast metro markets. And I think if you're a supplier, getting in early as we go into those markets would be an amazing thing for us and for you and for our customers. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. Um, and thank you for the time because you've got, you now actually, act, you now actually have to go do all those things that you've been <laughs> describing. And you've, yeah, given live, us, live it. you've got to actually go live it and, and lead that team. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks a lot, Bentley. Thanks for taking the time too. I appreciate all the great questions. Thank you for listening to Brand New Blueprint. If you want help or additional tools to apply what you learned in this episode, just text the word blueprint to 66866. This podcast is a production of Smoketown, a boutique consultancy that helps emerging brands reach their growth potential. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe to get the latest one. And a big thank you to the regulars for the beats.